Welcome to The Romantic Side of Suspense with Sarah Hemmerker. In each episode, she'll talk with your favorite romantic suspense authors. They will take you behind the scenes of the writing process, giving excerpts from their writing, and share stories about their writing life. One Cinderella Night by Lenore Rose Burkhard A single young woman is forced to try and con a billionaire into paying a debt the mob is after. But can deception lead to love? Emma Benson had no idea her father died owing a hundred grand to a mob boss until her new boyfriend Ricky turned out to be working for them. Emma must pay back the debt, or she and the rest of her family will pay the ultimate price with their lives. Ricky sets her up with a billionaire so she can con him into forking over the money. When he seems to be a dream come true, she can't go through with the plan. Ready to warn her family and run for her life, only a fairy tale ending could save the day. But they don't happen in real life. Or do they? Hi, and welcome to The Romantic Side of Suspense. I'm your host, Sarah Hammerker, and I'm so glad you joined me. Today, I'm with Lenore Rose Burkhard. She's a serious watcher of period films. She's a fan of Jane Austen and a hopeless romantic. And we're here to talk about writing, romantic suspense, and a little bit about her latest book, One Cinderella Night. So welcome to my show, Lenore. Thank you, Sarah. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes. So um, I love that you're a fan of Jane Austen. Love, love her. What could be better than some Austen, Austen stuff? And Georgette Heyer. I think I'm Heyer, sorry. yes. Georgette Heyer. Oh, she, I read so much of her as a teenager. Oh, <laughs> so did I. <laughs> oh my goodness. And she had, I mean, hers were historical, but they were, they had such that gothic tone to them, that mystery as well. I just really loved You must that. have read her mysteries. Yes, I did. Okay. I, did. I read her mysteries. So mystery, mystery fan with that. So, um, now, I always love to ask this of authors because I always like to know, how do you find time to write? Are you writing full time? It says in your bio that you're a mom of five and, you know, whether your kids are in the house or grown, <laughs> they still take your time. So how do you? They do. Time they absolutely do. You know, that that question, the answer to that question varies by the year. When they okay. were little, uh, I think I was more intentional about, intentional about uh, carving out time. Like mm-hmm. if my husband got home at night, my first book I was was written at night when I would yeah. go downstairs after he got home. But every book is different. I've written while my son is crawling across my lap. And now that they're older, it actually seems more uh, challenging <laughs> to have uninterrupted time. Well, my husband just retired, so that doesn't help. Uh, uh, <laughs> so yeah. it's, I can't say I write at one particular time of day or night. <laughs> you just kind of fit it into whenever you can. Yes, I fit it in whenever, whatever my family's doing, you know, unless I'm on a deadline or I'm really on a roll and then I just say, leave me alone, don't bother me, I'm writing. But I don't like to do that as a rule all the time. Right, right. Yeah, I um, I tend to write first thing in the morning after we get our uh, kindergartner uh, foster kid off on his bus. And before I open email, before I do anything like that, I try to write at least one scene, sometimes a chapter. Um, I'm not on deadline current right now, so I have a little more flexibility. <laughs> I don't have to nose yeah. totally to the grind zone, which is kind of nice, but I still like to make sure I'm keeping my hand in by writing, um, writing every day. 
So it's great to be disciplined. I go through periods where I will do things like that. I just don't do it 365 days a year. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's something I think, you know, some people think of writers either we're going into our little holes in the middle of nowhere to write, or we just, you know, write 24 seven or, you know, but we do, there's cyclical things to our lives too. You know, we can't be writing because it's so creative that we have to take little breaks sometimes between books, sometimes between editing and writing. Um, exactly. Yeah. So how do you balance all of that? All the different. Well, uh, as I said, every season is different depending on like, this is the first year I'm not homeschooling or I don't have a homeschooler. Uh, mm. She graduated my last one, but now my husband's retired and um, husbands tend to need as much attention as kids. <laughs> and, you know, and I want to spend more time with him. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. And then you have to seek the Lord. But so each book is different. I yeah. wait for inspiration. I wait for what I believe is a leading to write this book. Right. Yeah. And do you, um, so what comes first for you? The plot, the characters, the title, when you're. When Usually you- it's a character in a situation. And yeah. then uh, the whole book kind of grows around. How did she get there? What's going on in her life? And what bigger things are happening around her? You know, that would make an interesting plot. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so, um, and what is your, you know, why do you enjoy writing romantic suspense? This is what our, what my show is. Well, romantic suspense is actually my alter ego as a writer <laughs> um, and suspense in general. I have a suspense series that isn't really romantic suspense, but it's kind of um, apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. There is a romance in the trilogy, but um, it's not the same as what you would consider romantic right, suspense. Right. So I only have a couple romantic suspense actually my uh, one cinderella night is my biggest to date uh serious entry into that category and even there i'm really more of a sweet romance writer so mm-hmm. it's not uh, i don't think edge of your seat though there were people whose re- you know whose reviews said they just couldn't wait to get to the end and they had to keep turning pages which you always want to hear as a writer right that's right. wonderful but i would call it my alter ego I just always have um, ideas about these. And I have a bunch of books in my head and partially written that will be uh, romantic suspense also. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's the, it's the tension between the, you know, they're falling in love while they're trying to unravel this mystery. Yes. More than just like a little cozy mystery. Like someone is really trying to harm them. One of them, the hero or the heroine, sometimes both. Um, in a serious way that there's that, that time pressure to, to figure it out. And um, sometimes I'll read, wrote, you know, I read some romance. I have some favorite authors that I'll, I'll read their books. And sometimes I'm like, oh, why aren't they, this could be, oh, right. This is not romantic suspense or nothing serious <laughs> going to happen to them. This is not going to turn out to be, you know, <laughs> this person was trying to kill them for the inheritance or. <laughs> I do have a little, you know, I do like to have a villain in every book. Yes. So there are villains, but sometimes in romantic suspense, the villain is just simply more of an obstacle or a really annoying character trying to kick up dust, but not so much the danger element. Yeah. And one Cinderella night, there is a danger element. There's okay. a definite danger element. <laughs> I don't want to give spoilers. No, no, no. Don't give spoilers. So, um, so what does your family think about your writing romantic suspense? Well, it's funny. They don't react differently, whatever I write. 
And my kids have grown up with me being a, an author. So to them, it's like, oh, mom wrote another book. Cool, mom. <laughs> you know, they don't think too much about it. And my older girls will now read my books. And okay. I consider them very good critics. And they love my work, which is very um, gratifying. But they're not like waiting for to see what I write next, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my two <gasps> older are in college now. And they'll read my books. And yeah, sometimes I think of the, I don't know, my young, my, my second daughter, um, she's the one who's, who writes more and she sometimes will say funny things about, well, why'd you do this mom? Or why'd you do that? You know? I, I have one of those, my oldest, cause she writes also. Yeah. So it is kind of fun to just talk about, well, why I chose to do this or what this, why this is in there and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, that's true. I agree. Yeah. So how, did you always want to be a writer or is this something? Well, that um, when I was young, I don't think I didn't have the self-esteem to ever think that I could be a writer. I mm -hmm. mean, I still remember being like five years old and connecting the dots that that strange name on a book was a real person. Um, and to me, it was like another order of being. They had to be like specially God-favored people, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. And in college, I didn't take creative writing because I was working full time and I didn't think I could finish and get an A with all I had to do. But I always wrote. I couldn't get away from writing. And I thank God for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I was a little different. I always knew I wanted to be a writer. I wasn't sure what that meant. I didn't think, oh, I want to write books or I want to write this. I just knew I just wanted to write this somehow. And I even knew I wanted to write. I yeah. just didn't know if I would ever find any success in it. Yeah. I don't think any of us really know. And I yeah, was, that's true. Yeah, it was, yeah. And it's what I went to college for. I was a journalism communications major. And then I worked on magazines, which was lovely um, yes. in the trade association world. And, you know, and then I would dabble in writing, but I never really got serious until I had kids. Isn't that funny? <laughs> well, me too. Well, as far as novel length. Yes. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. I think you have to be older sometimes to even get the experience to be able to put this into a book so that there's universal appeal in it. Yeah. I think it was something like that. Then it was also um, not that I had more time because I was still, working. Yeah. you know, so like I had less time, but somehow it just was like, I'm going to write a book now. That's just what I wanted to do. So, um, right. you know, I've had, I have many books sitting on my computer that um, will never see the light of day. Right. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a few that I might go back to if I ever have time, but I would have to like completely rewrite them. So I don't know if it's even, you know, at that point it's even worth it, but it's just kind of fun to think, yeah, I made myself finish it. Finish. Yeah. I had all these half written books that I'm like, finish. Now I like make sure I finish books more than I abandon. My next book is uh, one that I did write many years ago and it was about 95% done. So <clears throat> it's interesting to go back now and all I have to do is kind of edit it and just finish that last chapter. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah some well, of them are worth salvaging. Some of them are, some of them are. And some of them I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> There's a lot of suspense in this one. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. There's a lot of suspense in the one I'm working on. It's set um, mostly on the Titanic. So you know uh -huh. what that suspense is about. Yeah, <laughs> plus, yeah. Plus Are there's somebody who's running for his life from being framed <laughs> for murder. So 
Yeah. Well, we are out of time, Lenore, but thank you so much for being on my show. Thank you for having me. It was a delight. Thank you, Sarah. You have been listening to The Romantic Side of Suspense. I'm Sarah Hammerker, and I'm so glad you joined me. I've been talking with Lenore Rose Burkhardt. She's a hopeless romantic, and she's a mom of five and a prolific writer. So I hope that you'll enjoy reading some of her books and stay tuned for an excerpt from her latest romantic suspense, One Cinderella Night. Now an excerpt from One Cinderella Night by Lenore Rose Burkhardt. Emma Benson fixed her lipstick and turned to her best friend Nadia Hazeltine for her appraisal. Nadia smiled. You look great. Even Ricky's gonna wish. No, he's not. Emma's sharp tone silenced her friend. He's not gonna wish anything except that I behave precisely as he says. If he doesn't tell you you're beautiful. Her voice trailed off. He won't notice, Emma said flatly, as she tucked the lipstick into her purse. He's a guy, isn't he? He's a devil. Nadia sighed. Ricardo Grasso was good-looking to a fault. Who would have thought he would turn out to be, well, like Emma said, a devil? Anyway, you'll be a hit. They'd spent three hours doing Emma's nails, makeup, and hair. Emma had bought new white stilettos at a bargain basement to go with the fancy dress she'd found on sale. Her slim frame made her look taller than her five feet five inches, and her long, dark hair against the pale dress, thanks to the deep conditioning treatment from Nadia, shone luxuriantly. Nadia was only five foot two and blonde. She was a hairstylist by trade and a powerhouse of emotional support as a friend. Emma grabbed the present for Ricky's sister, Maria, that she'd agonized over, finally settling upon a loosely woven, peach-colored summer shawl, something Maria might need on a warm summer night in Sicily, where she was soon headed. It would go well against her hair. Emma hadn't met Maria yet, but judging by Ricky's jet-black locks, She figured Maria had the same. The party tonight was in honor of her coming wedding and departure to Italy, or so Ricky said. These days, she didn't believe anything Ricky said. Why she'd even bothered to pick something nice for Maria, she wasn't sure. Maria probably wasn't even Ricky's sister. She was probably his wife, the lying, scheming devil. They started up the steps from her finished basement apartment. Nadia said, I'm sorry, Em. I wish you didn't have to do this. Emma locked the door behind them. Me too. She stopped and stared at Nadia. I don't think I can. I know what it will take for this to work, and I can't. Nadia took her arm. I know. It's horrible that he wants you to do this. But think about it. You know what's at stake. Emma looked tragic. How could I forget? They started down the walkway to the street. Nadia shook her head. You know, I think you should work on Ricky. Soften him up. I saw how he looks at you. How he used to look at me. Still, he's got feelings. I think you could reach him. 
I don't want to reach him, said Emma. Not anymore. Nadia gave Emma an impulsive hug. Her face scrunched in a frown. You'll do great tonight, and pretty soon it will all be over and he'll be out of your life forever. You can put all this behind you and get a good guy. Emma turned distraught eyes to her friend. Soon it will be over? Yeah, after the mob shoots me and my family in the head and dumps us in the Hudson. Don't say that. You're going to make this work. Nadia's eyes filled with tears. You have to, Em. You have to. Emma nodded and squeezed Nadia's hand. I know. I'll do my best. The young women traversed the short walkway to the pavement, stopping for traffic before crossing the street to where Nadia's boyfriend Chris sat waiting in his car. After you drop me off, you and Chris going out? Emma asked before they got in. Nadia stopped with one hand ready to open the door. Yeah, just dinner and a bite to eat. She gave a wry grin. Well, for me, a bite. For Chris, a huge bite. Chris Cabrera had thick, dark hair and eyes, a meaty head and wide neck, the body of a hefty bouncer or football player. Emma often wondered why he hadn't tried to play football professionally. He sure looked the part. But despite the tough look, he was a sweetheart. He loved online gaming, but made a good income in the insurance business. You think he's going to ask tonight? Emma asked, studying her pretty friend. Nadia frowned. No way. I've concluded he's allergic to the thought of marriage. He just needs a good nudge. From what Emma could see, Chris adored Nadia, and Nadia adored him right back. They'd been dating for almost two years, and Nadia didn't know why he hadn't proposed yet. Twenty minutes later, the car came to a stop before a long and stately white brick house with a porch and three Greek columns. Malba was a swanky area of Queens. Bushes trimmed to razor neatness flanked the edge of the property, while large-footed urns at the entrance, filled with gorgeous greens and sprays of flowers, added to the manicured look. Neat as a pin, like Ricky, thought Emma. A long black limo sat off to one side at the curb. Chris gave a low whistle. These guys got all the money, don't they? I'm sure most of the residents come by it respectably, Emma said peering around at the Jewish New York neighborhood of upper-class professionals. Doctor's Row, they call it. Ricky Grasso was assuredly not Hebraic, nor was he a doctor or engineer like his neighbors. The house and grounds, however, gave no indication he was only a high school teacher at a public school, and the limo at the curb belied it. Emma wasn't surprised because now she knew where Ricky's money came from. That's some limo, Chris said. He turned jovially to Emma. Maybe you can get Ricky to take you home in it. I'm supposed to try and get someone else to take me home, remember? Both faces in the front seat sobered. Emma grabbed her evening purse and the gift, stuck one leg out of the car, but stopped to thank her friends. She added, Wish me luck. 
Here I start my life of crime. Thanks for listening to The Romantic Side of Suspense with Sarah Hammerker. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. You can sign up to receive notifications of upcoming podcasts and listen to previous editions at sarahhammakerfiction.com.